We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So Torah, as we read it here at Romamu, is not just something to be read because we have to check off a box every week in the annual cycle of reading Torah, which of course is a full cycle. We read from the beginning of the five books of Moses until the end of it every year. And for us, reading the Torah on Shabbat morning, we felt was more powerful if we were to read less and say more. If we were to say more about less of the weekly apportioned annual reading, it would give us a chance to actually go deep into the Torah itself and ask the Torah questions like, what are you telling me and how might I lead my life based on these verses? So this morning's first calling up is not a calling up of any one person or two people, but for anyone this morning as I teach and as I invite you to look at verses together with me, uh, if anything I'm saying from the tradition speaks to you about what we're about to read from this ancient scroll, we invite you to come forward and stand with Torah this morning for a blessing. Chapter 7 of the book of Numbers is decidedly not the most interesting of those chapters that are normally covered in what is known as Parshat Naso. The Parsha that is Olivia's Bat Mitzvah Parsha is called Naso. Can you all say that? Naso means lift up or count. Lift up, count, meaning a census. And there are a lot of juicy pieces that we are jumping over to get to chapter 7. Chapter 5 is juicy. Chapter 6 has a story of... Uh, you know, a crazy magical ritual in the temple period that had to do with married couples and all kinds of interesting stuff. And then there's the Nazarite, and the Nazarite has interesting pieces to it, which arrive at chapter 7 of the book of Numbers, and you might want to check out. Let's read it together, okay? Chapter 7, verse 1. And on the day that Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, the Yom Kalot Moshe, Lahakim et Mishkan, on the day when Moshe finished building this portable temple in the desert, the tabernacle, Vayim Shach Oto, he he anointed it. He took oil and Mashiach. He anointed. Right, that was the way they said something was holy. They they kind of put oil on it. He said, oh, this is holy, holy temple. By Kadeshoto consecrated it, all of the vessels, right? The altar, the utensils. When he had anointed and consecrated them, then, verse 2, can everybody be with me? 7-2. The chieftains of Israel, the heads of the ancestral houses, namely the chieftains of the tribes, they are the Nisi'e Hamatot, the ones who had staffs. Heim ha'umdim ala pikudim. They were in charge of enrollment. 
At this point, after verse 2, you might have glossed your eyes and said, okay, Game of Thrones, I mean, who are the chiefs of tribes and the heads of families and lineages? Who are they? Oh, they're the leaders of the, of the community. And Vayaviyu at Korbanam, they brought their offerings before God. Sheish Eglot Sav, six carts that are covered over with 12 oxen, and verse 4 tells us they brought them to the tabernacle and then God said take them receive them accept them and what's odd here just for those of us who are like looking at this for the first time thinking you know What's going on here? How is it instructive for my life? Let me preface this by saying, this is unusual. It's unusual for the chieftains to have brought something without having been asked to bring something. Chapter 7 says, basically, the tabernacle has all been set up now. It's ready to work. And somebody knocked on the doors, and they happened to be the board of the community that built the tabernacle or the building. And they show up at the door and they say, we have all these gifts to bring you to help you run your home, your tabernacle, your sanctuary, your institution, and we're the board. And what's odd about this, of course, is where have they been already? Is this the first moment in Torah where people brought gifts to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle? Anybody know the answer to that question? It's a setup, but what's the answer? Is this the first time anyone from the community brought voluntary gifts for the construction or the working of the tabernacle for the synagogue, the temple, the institution? Is it the first time? No, right? We know that they, a lot has already been said in, earlier in the book of Exodus. And what's odd, of course, here is the Torah has to go out of its way to let us know that they are the board. So just listen to this, everybody. Listen to me say this, and then it might strike a, a dis, maybe a, a discordant sound. Now, when Moses had finished the tabernacle, pause, the leaders of the board, the chieftains, the heads of the tribes, yes, those leaders, yes, them, they're the ones, yes, them, those leaders, they brought gifts. And God said, accept them. So that's the way that brought the Torah, the Bible reads. And it immediately raises the question of why does the Torah have to go out of its way to let us know who these people are repeatedly? It would have been enough to say, they're the board. No, I mean really the board. No, I mean the leaders. Yeah, the ones, the ones who go to board meetings every month. Yeah, those ones. Those guys? Yeah, though, really? And then the, the Bible says, and God has to go out of God's way, and God is not very verbose in the Torah. God is laconic, and God says, accept those gifts, as if to say what? What's the counter-narrative that the Torah is not naming, but is implicit when God says, accept them to Moses, that Moses might not have accepted them. Why would Moses not have accepted gifts? People came with gifts. We have gifts. So on this, the rabbis who live at least... Almost a thousand years after this is written, if not longer, say this. Who were these people and why do we have to know who they really are? What's their story? These are the ones, the rabbis say, who when the Torah said to the entire group of Israel, bring gifts, 
right? Earlier on the Torah, when the tabernacle was being built, there was a capital campaign that went out to everyone in the land. It said, bring your gifts. And they brought their gifts. And the leaders of the board said, well, we're going to wait to see what everybody brings. We're going to wait to see what everybody brings before we jump in. We'll fill up the distance between what they bring and what we need to run the tabernacle. That's what the rabbis say. That's what their thought process were. But then what happened? The people brought so much. They brought so much that the leaders of the community felt there was nothing left for them to do. And so at the end, when the tabernacle is already done, after they have raised everything they need to raise, finally the leaders of the community say the Midrash, the rabbis, they say, the leaders came and said, hey, you never came back to ask us. We feel left out. Will you please accept our gifts? We thought our role was to wait to see how much there was in the community and that we would, you know, we weren't really part of the community. We're kind of just, we're just there to make sure, to be insurance. We don't want to overwhelm people with our power, our presence, our prestige, whatever it is. We're just going to wait and hold back and wait and see. And in the end, the rabbis reading these verses very, very carefully say that they then had to absolutely demand that they be participants in the building of the community. Which, of course, raises the question for each and every one of us, which is, who are you waiting for to give you permission? Who are you waiting for to give you the right, the authority, to step in and participate even though you have authority. Sometimes our desire with our children and with friends and other places in our lives is to say, I'm going to do it for you. And the general principle with parenting that I live by is I'm not going to work harder than you for you. You have to work hard too. We'll work on this together. If I'm working harder than you are, then there's something wrong. But there's the other extreme, where we go and we pull back all the way. And we say, you know what? I'm going to be all the way over here. I'm not going to get involved. I'm actually not even going to preemptively get involved. I'm going to wait and see. And there's a, a very subtle critique of that posture in the rabbi's reading of this. Like, why not step in and step in. Like, why not really step in? Say, I'm going to participate, and if it's too much, I'll pull back, but I'll live in it. But I'm going to step in. In whatever way, shape, or form that looks like. The rabbis, living a thousand years after the Torah is written, are listening for the text as if to say that the ones who came in the chapter, beginning of chapter 7 and said, hey, we're the ones... They're the ones who represent a model of leadership or a model of communal activity or civic engagement that is on the extreme and the result of that extreme distancing ourselves. Even if it was for a good reason. Even if it was to see what they could do on their own, we missed the boat. And Torah says, God said, accept it from them. In fact, accept it from them. Kehumeita means that God says in one reading, they really don't want to give it. They just came forward because they felt left out. So means go take it from them. Because once they opened up... So this morning's Aliyah, this morning's open up, 
for those in this community who feel called this morning to stand with Torah, to receive the blessing of Torah, is to be identified publicly as you stand here with Torah as someone who feels that they have been stepping out too far away from something that they should be stepping into. They have given too much ownership of something in their life to someone else or some other group. It could be politicians. Can you imagine? We've given too much ownership to those who have power because we we're waiting to see what happens. It could be in uh, a dynamic with your husband, wife, partner, lover, where, uh, you know, they keep saying, I'm waiting for you to step in. They say, well, I was waiting for you to show me how much to step in. They say, well, I'm not, you know, just step in. There's something here this morning that reminds us that there is an adage that I'm not going to work harder than you are, but I'm also not going to let you work harder than I'm going to work. And we're going to do this together, collectively, cooperatively, collaboratively, co-tivarchu. We are blessed when we co-mingle and cohort. Find our level. And if you are feeling or have heard from others in your life that you're not pulling enough of the weight, and you'd like a blessing this morning to step in and have it received well, because sometimes we say, you know what? I step so far back. If I go step in now, they're going to say, no way. You're done. You're out. We went on without you. No, it'll be received. That's where you are this morning. The Torah wants to meet you here at the Bima. Please, a rendezvous with Torah is your birthright this morning. So please open up and rise up for the first Aliyah.